From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, in Vermont and across the nation, school districts are deciding whether they'll reopen for in-person instruction for the fall semester and what it might look like if they do. Members of the public are concerned about both the potential health impacts of reopening schools and the drawbacks of relying on remote learning. But new research out of UVM's Larner College of Medicine suggests that school districts might not need to sacrifice public health in order to put some children back into classrooms. I would say that there is a widespread agreement that reopening schools needs to be a priority, right? Everyone says, okay, we want schools to reopen. I think that there is a tremendous anxiety, especially for people that work in schools, that part of the pressure to reopen schools is mostly about the economy and that health concerns are going to take a back seat. The reason I thought that this was really interesting and very valuable is because this would suggest that there is a good public health reason to reopen schools. This suggests that we do not have to make a choice between controlling the pandemic and reopening schools, particularly at the elementary school level. Our education reporter Lola DeFort spoke to one of the researchers behind a new study on how the coronavirus spreads in children. I talked to Dr. Benjamin Lee, who's a pediatric infectious disease specialist at UVM's Lerner College of Medicine, and he wrote a commentary. So he did not himself conduct a study. He wrote a commentary with uh, another doctor at UVM about the kind of existing literature that we do have about transmission and infection and children. For me, as a pediatric infectious diseases physician, from the very beginning, I was intensely interested to see how this uh, pandemic would affect children, both in terms of their clinical health, but also in terms of public health implications. And early on, we really didn't have much data, but as more and more data come out that address this question, um, I think it's crucial for the medical community to really be able to provide clear and consistent interpretation of what the scientific evidence is telling us as it relates to children. Their point is that children, and particularly younger children, so elementary-aged kids, are not important drivers of the pandemic. They're not saying it's impossible for kids to pass this on to one another or to adults. They're saying most, most of the time, it's not the kids who are spreading this. Children appear to be less susceptible to getting infected with this coronavirus. And when they do get infected, they tend to have very mild symptoms. So they're at far uh, lower risk for having severe disease Um, as a result of infection or contracting COVID-19. Furthermore, it does appear that children, particularly younger children, appear to be far less likely to transmit the virus or pass it along to others. Most of this evidence comes from household cluster data. So when infections have been identified in children, contact tracing allows us to try to figure out where did the infection come from? Did the child get it and then pass it along to the family? or did an adult in the family get it and then pass it along to the children? And almost without exception, when we look at the household transmission data, or the household clustering data, and this is true for pretty much every country um, that this has been looked at, and what we see, the pattern that we see is that children are catching this disease from adults in their household. They're not the ones catching it and passing it along to other children or other adults. 
So they have looked at studies that have come out of China, out of France, households in Switzerland, New South Wales, you know, as he put it, different contexts and different countries showing pretty consistent results. Although there are caveats to that. Again, this is um, a growing but still very limited body of knowledge. This is not settled science, but it is very encouraging that the results that we're seeing are so consistent. There are a number of countries in Europe, for example, that have now also reopened schools, and that gives us more of a clue specifically on child-to-child transmission. And by and large, in almost every country in Europe, at least, that has opened schools with strategies to mitigate transmission within the school setting, we've not seen large school-related outbreaks. There are a couple of exceptions. The most notable exception is probably in Israel, where they very rapidly moved to more or less full reopening for all ages, but without um, implementing much in the way of mitigation, particularly in terms of physical distancing. And so I think the take home is that for older children, and by older, I mean high school age children, throwing them back together in a classroom without appropriate mitigation strategies, such as cloth facial coverings or physical distancing would be a bad idea. And so we do need to be cautious about how we reopen the schools, and we need to pay particular attention to our older kids, particularly those in high school. Yeah, that that actually brings me back to a kind of key question that I've seen a lot of uh, educators ask, because obviously this has huge implications for the school reopening debate, which is, what do we know about how uh, children of different ages spread this? And can we even get that granular given what we what we know? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that most likely this should be seen as a gradient or a continuum with the younger children, particularly you know, elementary school age children, being far less likely to either contract the infection or transmit it. As kids get older and start moving into the teenage years, they do start to approach the adult rates in terms of likelihood of acquiring the infection or potentially passing it along. It would still be important to point out, however, that for older kids, um, as we get into the teenage years and approaching 18, even if their likelihood of catching the infection does appear to increase compared to the younger children, um, they still show a similar pattern in that they have very, very low rates of severe disease. And so many of them can, can catch the infection, but generally are either asymptomatic or only have very mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. Your commentary uh, in pediatrics, you know, talked about how we should prioritize keeping schools open. We should explore strategies for doing so safely. And the available evidence suggests that, you know, we can do this responsibly, even when there is some level of community spread. Is this any level of community spread, low levels of community spread? You know, like, is there a difference between the community spread that we're seeing in Vermont versus Texas in terms of whether or not it would be safe to reopen schools based on what we think we know at this point? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great question. And it's a very challenging one to answer because a lot of the ability to maintain safe school environments um, has not only to do with things that are happening within the school setting, and going along with that is, you know, do, do the local districts have the resources to, you know, implement these plans and, you know, the means to do that. But it also depends so much on the scenario in the community, not only in terms of rates of transmission, 
but capacity for local healthcare systems to be able to identify cases, test, contact trace, isolate, et cetera. So there are a number of factors that go into it beyond just sort of rates of transmission. Therefore, it's hard to give you know, a hard and fast number in terms of how much is too much or you know, at what point is it safe. Certainly in Vermont, we are not seeing significant levels of sustained community transmission. So I would argue that you know, Vermont is as well poised as anywhere in the country um, to you know, sort of model how we can do this and how we can do this safely. There was a study, I think it was out of Geneva, that talked about how symptomatic children, I believe, had the same viral load as adults, but didn't seem to be transmitting it as much as adults. What could that potentially tell us? Or is it just like this big question mark? Yeah, there has been some interesting data that's come out, um, I believe, from a research group in Germany that has demonstrated that infected children, even if they are asymptomatic, and even in, in young children, if you test for the presence of the virus in those children who are known to be infected, one can detect an amount of virus in the nasopharynx, meaning um, in the nose, at levels that can be equivalent to levels that are seen in infected adults. From that, they make an inference, and that means that children could potentially be seen as being just as infectious as adults. I think that there are two different aspects to this question. So one, can children support significant viral replication meaning when a child is infected, can they develop high quantities of virus? And I think the answer to that definitely is yes. I think their data would demonstrate that yes, children can actually build up significant amounts of virus similar to that seen in adults. However, that by itself does not mean that children are just as efficient at getting that virus into another person. And that's referred to as infectiousness. And this relates to how well can children actually transmit the infection to others. So far, the data would suggest that even if children have a high amount of virus in the nose, they may actually be far less efficient at actually transmitting it away from them, out of their bodies and into somebody else. And it's still a bit of a mystery why that would be the case. So far, um, in my mind, an explanation that is just as likely um, as any, is that children, particularly younger children, as, as everyone knows, are, are just smaller than adults. So when they cough, they may not be able to project infectious viral particles out away from them where they can then get into somebody else as effectively as adults do. So it may really come down to the fact that children just aren't good at getting the virus out of their bodies and projecting it out away from them where that virus can then go on and um, inoculate somebody else. But that's not the case for like the flu, right? Kids are just as good about spreading that respiratory disease as adults. That's an excellent point. And in all honesty, it, it's, it's a big mystery why that would be the case that children appear to be so efficient at transmitting the flu, but not this virus. Early on in the pandemic, before we really had any data on children and this coronavirus, we basically went to the influenza playbook in terms of how to approach this in children, um, including the necessity for school closures. So I would argue that what happened earlier in the spring was a very reasonable approach, thinking that children could be significant drivers of this the way that they are for influenza. I think at this point, we, we can make the argument that even if we don't understand exactly why 
um, that this virus does appear to act very differently in children than influenza does. And therefore, we probably shouldn't be approaching them in the same way. Do we know anything about whether or not kids are less likely to spread this to other children versus less likely to spread this to adults? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure we have a definitive data either way, other than to say that it seems likely that they're less likely to transmit it to anyone, period, um, compared to adults. Part of it may be that if children are less likely to become infected with it, that child-to-child spread may be less likely because you have two factors working in our favor. One, the infected child may be less efficient at transmitting it. And two, the other child that they're in contact with may already be at less likelihood of becoming successfully infected with it. Um, So in that standpoint, um, particularly for younger children, I think there's reason to suspect that children um, really will be inefficient at spreading it amongst themselves, um, particularly for younger children. What do you think of the theory that um, the reason children are not often the index case is that is because they've been more cooped up, right? It's their parents who are going to the grocery store. It's their parents who are running errands. It's easier to control the social interactions of children versus adults. Yeah, that is an important limitation to the data um, and, and one that we should acknowledge. You know, when we say that we still have very limited evidence, this is one of the challenges is because children have been for the most part at home and not around other kids to the same extent that they normally would be, it's been challenging to generate the evidence um, or the studies that see how does this really affect kids when they're around lots of other kids like they would be in the school setting. So that is an important limitation to the data. Um, That's why I think it will be so crucial to continue to monitor the situation going forward as schools do reopen. But again, I do think we have a lot of reassuring data from European countries that have reopened schools that that pattern still appears to be holding up, that when children, um, particularly younger children, are returning to the school setting, that they still appear to be really less likely to catch the disease or to pass it along to their schoolmates. There have been a number of studies now that have identified cases within the school setting, several from Europe, France, and Ireland, uh, one from Australia. And in those settings, even when we know that there was an infected person in the school, for the most part, um, transmission within the school setting, um, particularly among young children, has been very, very low um, or non-existent. There's been one recent study from France that um, is still in a preprint format, um, but that has demonstrated that in high schoolers, at least, there did appear to be more transmission occurring among the high school students when there was an infected case at the school. But in the elementary school setting, there was um, virtually no transmission. What do we still not know, or what do you still have big questions about when it comes to um, infectiousness and age? Well, there are a number of questions. One is, you know, the most, probably the most relevant is, are we able to confirm what we have been seeing with more limited evidence up until now, that these patterns will continue to hold true as we reopen schools to a larger degree. So once kids are exposed to a lot more children, particularly in the school setting, um, because you know the classroom setting is it's a very unique setting and it's different than you know kids playing on the playground together or out in the park. So I think that will be a crucial piece of information that we want to keep a close eye on to make sure that these patterns continue to hold true, specifically within the school setting as more kids go back to school. I think why it is that children 
are so less likely to be affected by the virus, either why they're so less likely to become infected, and when they do become infected, why they have such a milder course of illness, I think are really important questions to, to answer. Um, going along with that, you know, why is it that they appear to be less likely or less able to transmit it efficiently, whereas the same child who might be infected with influenza, um, we know is, can probably do a pretty good job at passing along the flu. Um, these are really big, important questions that hopefully we'll um, begin to have some, some increased data on as schools reopen more. I think those are basically all of my questions. Is there anything else you want to say that I didn't ask about? No, I guess there are a couple of some plea, you know, some personal pleas, I guess. Um, so one, um, the school reopening issue has become so intensely political. And my own personal plea is, you know, I think that maybe this is just a sign of our times that there isn't any issue that can escape being politicized, even one as important as the health and welfare of our children. You know, I, I guess my plea would be, please let's not make this a political issue. Let's not pick sides based on a pro or anti um, stance based on political affiliation. We need to all work together um, to make sure that we can reopen schools safely, regardless of political belief, affiliation, or background. I think we should all be able to come together and agree that making the school safe for our children and their teachers is a priority that's important for all of us. And that relates to um, another plea that I have, and that's that we really should be viewing schools as essential services. I think that, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if there's anybody out there who would disagree that educating our children is essential for our society, you know, especially for the younger children who really appear to be at the lowest risk of getting infected and at the lowest risk of transmitting it, a year of either remote learning or less than full-time in-person education, I fear really could have lifelong consequences, um, particularly for children on the margins who may have special healthcare needs, who may have emotional or intellectual challenges to begin with. I think we really shouldn't underestimate how profound an impact not providing in-person schooling to these kids really can be. That's it. Thank you so much. This has been a really fantastic interview. No, great. You can read more about Dr. Lee's findings and find a link to his full commentary in the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics at vtdigger.org. As always, you can find all of our COVID-19 coverage at vtdigger.org slash coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. Have a nice week.